hesitated to catch drips from the ceiling. There was no reply from the grand door under the pillared portico, though he heard the bell echo inside. He had expected none. Cecily disliked casual callers. He found her in the kitchen, drinking rum in hot milk and smoking a pipe. She had left her wellingtons at the door and wore hand-knitted woolen socks with holes in the toes, a pleated tweed skirt, and a sweater with a fair isle pattern, which George supposed had been knitted by Vanessa. Vanessa had been her friend and companion since they had met as girls during the war. Vanessa had stuck by Cecily through her two divorces and her drinking. It was Vanessa who brought a semblance of order to the house. My housekeeper, Cecily called her, and Vanessa accepted that without a fuss, though George doubted that it was a paid position. Rum, George, Cecily said. You need something to keep out the cold. It might be March, but it's bloody freezing. No, thank you, Cecily, George said politely. Coffee will be fine. Oh, well, she said, suit yourself. Then, with the sergeant major's roar, Nessie, come and make George a coffee. There was a pause, and she added, There's a dear. She was seventy, but fit and formidable. Very tall, very thin, and still working as she made clear to everyone she met. She might have left the university, but there was no retirement for her, no sliding quietly into her grave while the bastards fucked up the planet. She'd been a delegate at the Rio summit meeting, and she was still collating data for her work on bird migration and environmental damage. One room at the Dukas had been made reliably waterproof, and there she kept her computer. She had never learned to use it, but employed a sixth former, the son of one of her farm labourers, to come in every Sunday to work the magic. The figures which spilled from the printer she knew how to use, and she still produced papers which made the scientific world take notice. The latest was on the decrease of bird migrants from sub-Saharan Africa. "'I'll have to go out again in a minute,' she said. "'I'm working a constant effort ringing site for the BTO. You've got to show willing, haven't you?' She raised her voice and shouted again, "'Come on, Nessie, we haven't got all day!' "'Perhaps I could put the kettle on?' George said, "'while you tell me what this is all about.' "'Extortion, George,' she said darkly. "'That's what this is about.' She got to her feet and padded across the tiled floor to a dresser so riddled with woodworm that it was surprising it stood up. From a china toast rack she took a letter, still in its envelope, and set it on the table before him. It was addressed, by printed label, to Hubert Warrender, M.P., at his home address. George recognised the name. Warrender was a junior environment minister. "'Bert is an old chum of mine,' Cecily said. "'He mentioned it in passing. See, you've got a finger in another pie, Cess. I can't even open my mail without bumping into you.' I couldn't think what he was talking about, so he passed the thing on. It was a letter soliciting support for a new charity, the Wildlife Partnership. The partnership had worked successfully in the States for some time, buying land, especially in threatened areas of Central and South America. Now it was extending its operation to Europe. Many natural history groups in Britain and the United States had already made donations, and famous British naturalists had added their support to the venture. There followed a list of names— including that of Lady Cecily Jessop. Also in the envelope was a brochure, with photos of the rainforest and of fetching Brazilian children. Bertie gave them a hundred quid, 
she said, soft bugger. By check? asked George. Made out to the partnership? No, she said. He telephoned in a credit card donation. The only address is a post office box number. I take it you hadn't given permission for your name to be used, George said. I've never even heard of them. Are you sure there wasn't a letter asking perhaps for you to get in touch with them if you had any objection? It could have been overlooked as junk mail. I'm not a fool, George, and I read everything that comes to this house addressed to me. Have you complained to the charity? I've tried, she said, but it doesn't seem that easy. I phoned the telephone number. It's answered by some inarticulate youth who only seems programmed to accept donations. I asked to speak to his employer, but I was told he was on his own in the office. When I asked where the office was, I was told he wasn't at liberty to say. She mimicked a West Country accent. I'm sorry, madam.